welcome our fellow lovers of love, and thank you for joining us on yet another excursion through the stream of consciousness down the river of tranquility to fill the lake of life with love. And good evening, our fellow lovers of love. Thank you for being with us again tonight. And tonight we're going to talk about dealing with loss, the seven stages of grief, how to kind of, well, not how, you know, what to expect, what's normal, what's not. You know, we'll just kind of go, kind of go through the thing because there's no, but what we can tell you is there's no script for anybody. I mean, you can come through the seven stages, you can throw the five stages, whichever one you prefer. And, you know, there's no right way to get through it. It's just the way you manage to get through it. And so, you know, I think what we most take out of dealing with, a, dealing with loss is become a good human being and the rest takes care of itself. And so we're just going to go ahead and we're going to jump right in because why not so first we've got the seven stages of grief and they're all explained a little bit differently what we have on the screen is going to be a little bit different than what we discuss but the the basics the highlights are are the same so the first stage is disbelief and shock and i think this one makes sense to pretty much everybody right it, it's the world you you knew and the world you thought you knew is now completely different you know your future is now completely different or you know the world has changed drastically and uh, you know that's shocking and it's you can't believe it you know it, it's really kind of sit there right in its title you know you don't know what to do you can't believe this thing has happened and you know where do you go from here and it's a difficult thing and you've got the emotional roller coaster starts right and you know and uh, and even if you have time to prepare for it you know even if you, one of those things where you know is coming still you still have to deal with it once it actually happens no and it's not uncommon for someone to go through the shock phase throughout the duration of the funeral preparation simply to get through the process. Yeah. So it can last for a while. Yeah, there's no, and again, it's not a few days or weeks. It could even last a couple months in, in, a, in a more severe case, especially if they don't have support around them to help them through. You know, and you have to go through it kind of more or less alone. You can see how that would be. You know, it can make it take longer. Or if, you know, if there's stuff you have to get through. You know, sometimes you have family and religious experiences or customs you have to get through. And so it might take a couple months to get through all that. And so you may be in that shock and disbelief stage as you kind of routinely have to go through it. You never get a chance to settle into what will be your new life. And so there's no... There's no... Uh, there's no set guideposts. It's just, you know, it's just what to expect. Okay? And then the next one is the one, denial. 
you, know, you don't want to believe what's happened. You, you want it's a dream. It's not real. It's self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. And this stage usually doesn't last all that long because reality is reality. Right. It, but if you live in denial too long, you can cause serious damage to yourself and to your families around you. So denial is actually a very dangerous stage. It shouldn't last that long. And you can sometimes kind of bounce between. You can go through a stage. Like, you might still be in shock and in shock while you actually have gone through to the denial portion already. You can go through those at the same time. So, it's not unheard of. So, but you do have to go through it. Almost everybody will, you know, want to deny that, you know. It is. It's a mental... It's a mental preservation. You know, the shock is too big, and so while you while your subconscious tries to put things into place your active brain kind of denies that it's existence as you know the work gets to be done as you do what has to be done then you get the guilt and pain and this is this may be the hardest part to watch as an external viewer because you see people feel guilty and for things they, you know, have no need to feel guilty for. But you have wondering to, what might have been. What might have been, what could have been. If I'd have done something differently, if, you know, if we'd have done something differently, you know, that, that sticks with people for a long time. And... And, but, you know, the reality is, you likely did the best you could, knowing what you knew. You know, so now you, and it may not have made a difference anyway. It may have been worse. That's the one thing people always forget, that it actually may have been worse had you done something different. You know, it could have been even more tragic, because one of the things I've learned in life is it can always be worse. No matter how bad it is, it can always have been worse. And so, you know, that's always a possibility. And so, and then you get the survivor guilt. Why wasn't it me? They're more worthy than I am. Why am I still here? You get all that. And, you know, it's easy to get, again, it's easy to get stuck in these situations. It's easy to get stuck in, in, a, in a stage because it becomes, you know, if it's stuck, if you get there too long, it becomes your new existence. And then it's much more difficult to get out of it. So, as long as you're moving through these stages, it doesn't really matter how fast or slow, it's just as long as you're actually moving through them, I think, is, is, is a key. And next you get the bargaining part, right? Which is, you know, the, the police for God, or, or you know, internal strength, or whatever it is. You know, those are, uh, I think we've all done these. I don't think there's a human alive that hasn't made some bargain, if not with their their creator themselves. You know, if I get through this, I'll change, I really will. You know, I don't think there's a person among us who's been able to get through that. 
get through no. life without doing that. I, at I, least I, once. <laughs> at least once, if not multiple times. I swear, if I pass this test, I'll study. You know, in high, in junior, elementary school, probably, I'll study next time. Just make let me pass this one. You know, it's it's a common occurrence. It's a thing of humanity. It's what are you bargaining with fate? But you can't bargain with fate. That's not how fate works. You know? So I guess the question is, what's the real point of the bargaining process? It's just part of you putting your life, your new life, in, into perspective. It's, it's part of accepting that they are really gone. Yeah, because remember what's happening here is is the life that you had prepared for and planned for and were, you know, into is now completely different, and you're trying to navigate this path to a, to a new life that you don't want, didn't want, you weren't prepared for. Then so, you know, and then it leads to anger, because. When the bargain doesn't work, what happens? Because the bargains aren't going to work. You can't bargain your way out of life. There's, you know, you can make a deal with the devil, but the devil's inside of you. So it's only a deal with yourself. They never work. That leads to anger. Because you're mad at the world. And maybe rightfully so. Mad at the world, mad at yourself, you're mad at your partner for leaving you or for whatever the, the loss you're dealing with is, whatever the grief is. And you're mad about it. Because, you know, anger is human. It's very human to get mad when you don't get you what you want. And when you've been hurt, you get mad. And here, now you've got both of them. Something ripped from you, against your will. Of course you're gonna get angry. Of course you are. Who wouldn't? But ultimately, the anger is unproductive. It's a stage you have to go through, and hopefully it's short. But because it's, you know, because it's unproductive. It actually harms you and the people around you. But we are human. You know? There's kind of no way around it. And then you have the depression. And everybody experiences depression, who experiences depression, experiences it differently. And so it may not reach a clinical depression, but it'd be hard pressed to go through a life trauma, a severe loss, and not have some form of depression, at least for some time. Simply because of the nature of humanity, the nature of you know, us. You'd have to be pretty self-centered to be able to, you know, compartmentalize that effectively. So, you know, it's, uh, I actually think depression is less dangerous than anger. 
because you know anger you lash out you hurt other you know you can actually have a chance to hurt other people and do more damage depression mainly it doesn't just impact yourself I mean it does affect your family around you but those are easier wounds to heal shall we say than anger yes. yeah and so you know so depression is less dangerous because people accept depression you know they come to, to help you they'll support you they'll surround you with love you know but anger pushes people away so you know but you have every reason to be depressed suffered a loss or a trauma or you know and again we've talked about it repeatedly that you know your life is now not what you wanted and kind of against your will and you're having to build this new life that you never even contemplated you know and then you're doing it alone when you weren't planning on it when your plan was something completely different you know you look around don't even think about your life think about you you build a popsicle house and it falls apart you get a little depressed don't you you know you little glue stick pop up you know popsicle stick house you, you try to glue it together and it falls apart you get a little depressed imagine that's your life that's the life you built for yourself so depression is completely understandable you know and the the trick is to not stay there too long. You have to pet the dragons, right? Or otherwise they grow too big. You have to go through it. There's no way to avoid it. But you can try to make sure you don't stay there too long. Just, what is it the, the, from uh, Fighting Nemo? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Doesn't matter how slow you go. As long as you keep moving. As long as you keep moving forward, you know, it'll, uh, it'll get better eventually. Acceptance and or acceptance and hope, depending upon your preferences. And it's at some point, and there's no telling how long it takes or what the process is, you get to the point where you've built your new life. And some of the common signs of acceptance include restructuring your life without that person, cleaning out the loved one's personal items, working on financial and social problems, seeking out old relationships and support systems, and beginning new projects or hobbies. Yeah, and acceptance doesn't mean you're happy doesn't mean you're done with the process it just means you've got to the point where you're rebuilding your life as you and that's um it's both the terrible and beautiful thing you know because who wants to do it but what choice do you have? I know we talk about it a lot, that, you know, sometimes you, you know, it, you've got no choice. And so you eventually have to get to 
the point where you're accepted, where you accept and you have hope for the future and you're rebuilding a life for yourself. And because what other choice do you have? Is that what anybody would want? I don't think that's what anybody would want. No one who loves you wants you to wallow. And, you know, the process will be the process. The, the time that it takes will be the time that it takes. There's no script, there's no schedule. But uh, the important thing is just to keep moving forward. And if sometimes it's a belly crawl, then it's a damn belly crawl. Sometimes it's standing up and walking proud, and standing up walking proud. Doesn't really matter as long as you're moving. Anyway, okay. So, after that, the question becomes what do we want to get next? Do we want to go to the what to say to somebody, or do we want to go to the. Um, what to say somebody who's lost a loved one, or do you want to go to... We can go what to say. All right, so let's go to what to say to us. So what do you say? Because I know I'm terrible about wanting to know what to say, so I just often say I have no words, so I'm sorry. Well, it, it's better than saying nothing and just standing there looking at them, yeah. Yeah. I don't have the proper words. If you don't have the, if you don't feel you have the proper words, then you know what the proper words are. Is you tell them you don't have the proper words. They'll understand, because you would. And you know, for some people, it's actually easier. They have a, a religious to back back on. You can go to the thoughts and prayers, and they can mean it. I can't say that. I can say thoughts. <laughs> I'm thinking of you, but it doesn't have the same impact as thoughts and prayers, does it? You're in our prayers. And it doesn't have the same impact as, you know, you're in our thoughts. So I like the word. It does to me. It wouldn't to me, and I'm not a religious person. So <laughs> if you're a religious person, you know, I... That's their spirituality. Yes. I get it, but I'm not a religious person. So, uh, saying the prayers thing doesn't work for me. It's, it's, uh, dishonest. So, I lack the proper words, so I say I lack the proper words. And, according to the article, that it's, it's not, you know, uncommon. It's simple and straightforward. I'm sorry for your loss. That's what I usually say. I'm so sorry for your loss. And especially if you don't know them all that well, if there's someone, you know, you know, a casual acquaintance maybe, that's kind of good and generic. The thoughts and prayers are the simple alternatives. Hearing our thoughts. And so there's one there in that little article. There's nothing wrong with many of your lost words. You know, I, I don't know what to say. I, because <laughs> being honest when you're feeling is what they actually want what they actually need not having proper words is uh, you know shows actually a deep emotional feeling otherwise you'd have words you'd be able to come up with something 
the only reason you have a loss for words is because your emotions have overwhelmed you. You don't know what to think in this particular situation. You don't have proper words. So anyway, and if you know somebody, and this one is, is I'm always careful because when you start to make comments about, you know, as a wonderful husband and father or whatnot, and I suppose it's probably pretty safe. Yes. But, it, well, it can open up a conversation to where you can share loving memories of how they were loving. Yeah, but it's also dangerous to open up a conversation if, if really all they want is to move on. Well, I'm imagining this is immediately after the, the loss. But again, there's no... A lot of time, as long as you're just a com kind, compassionate, caring human being, you know, and you when you approach the situation with that kindness and compassion, you're going to be okay. You know, you think of the other person first. You think of the people around you first, and I think you're going to be be okay. But the the thing, lend an ear, make sure you're there. And make sure if you say, I'm here for you, here to listen, make sure it's true. And listening is a skill. That means listening means you shut up. You know, you be very careful about how much. Because oftentimes in uncomfortable situations, people tend to make it about them. And so you need to be very careful to not do that. To make it, you know. And reach out to them. Yeah. Make that phone call. And, you know, if you know them fairly well, you can actually, you know, take some initiative and buy them groceries if you know the kind of groceries they like or bring them dinner if you know the kind of dinner they like, you know, that kind of thing. There's, there are things you can do to help support them through their difficult time. But remember, their difficult time doesn't end in a month or two. So be there in a year as well. You know, it's going to evolve. It's going to be different. Their needs from you will be different in a year, but they're still going to need you. And so, you know, be careful with that. Acceptance. Hey, I'm missing one. I'm missing one over here. What's <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Ah, coping with the loss of your loved one. I didn't actually... Uh oh. I didn't get this one and I can't read it. Did you get it over there? Yeah, I got it. Okay. And... God. I feel so incompetent in discussing this because I know nothing. This is most, this article is mostly focused on moving on with life. Yeah. Well, at some point, you have to. Not just for you, for them. Right? They wouldn't want you to be miserable. People that love you don't want you to be miserable. And so at some point, you do have to move forward, go on with your life, rebuild whatever it is you want to rebuild. 
but it's going to take you a while to understand what that is. You have to get through the stages of grief before you can find your footing, before you can see your own future. And you can't rebuild your life until you can see your own future. And it's, uh, it's not an easy or pleasant thing to talk about because there's no definitive answer. So much easier to come and sit, come here and say, "Hey, here's your seven things to do to help your depression. Here's your seven things to do to help your anxiety. Hey, do this, and you can be a little happier in your life." There's none of that here. There's just, you know, it's part of life, and you have to do it because you have to, because. We're humans, and it's what we have to do to get through this thing we call life. But the good part is, we have people around us who love us, who support us, and who will be there for us. And if we allow them to, they will do miraculous things. You know, sometimes, and I have actual problems with this. Is I don't allow people. We don't allow people to help us. We forget that you know there's people who can do things for us, who can support us. We don't have to take on the world by ourselves. And uh, you know, oftentimes when you're dealing with grief, you're in the middle of loss. Your world has come crumbling down around you. And you feel alone. Even when you're surrounded by your friends and family and the people who can support you, you feel alone. But you're not. And somehow, you have to find a way to see it. Anyway, Lovey, you want your break tonight? All right, everybody, we're taking a quick break tonight. We'll be back in a minute.
right, we are back from our quick break. Thank you for your patience. All right, what do we have on tap tonight? We've got Lubby's questions. We want to remind you, you can always find all information we discuss at our website at latenightlove.us. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, MeWe, and all your favorite social media and podcast networks. All right, so what do we have on tap today? What are we starting with? Well, let's start with relationship questions. All right. Okay, I've been dating my boyfriend for almost three years, but one issue keeps me wondering if it's been genuine or not. From day one, he he has had huge issues with his phone. If I even glance over what he, if I even glanced over, he used to flip out. It's not so bad anymore, but I still am unable to check things out when the situation's warranted. On the other hand, he uses my phone like it's his own. And since he is much larger than me, I am really unable to do anything about it. Thoughts? Well, the phone thing may be deal with a lot of previous trauma. But the real issue is if you don't feel physically safe in your relationship, then you've got a problem. It's actually not the phone issue. It's the fact that, you know, there's at some level you don't feel safe in your relationship. So, I mean, that's the thing I would deal with. That's a red flag. Yeah. And it it may be her own perspectives. This is one of these things that there may be a couple of different things playing off of each other. And it may just be you're not meant for each other. You know? You could be perfectly... You know, reasonable people with the right person. You know, their matches fit, but maybe your your lifestyle simply don't fit. Your need for openness and his need for privacy may be the deal breaker. You know, but there was just an undertone in the letter that she didn't feel safe. But she didn't state that she wasn't safe. She just didn't completely feel safe. And if you don't feel safe after three years, then there's a problem. That kind of thing, okay, it takes takes longer than three days, but it takes shorter than three years to feel safe and secure in a relationship. And if you're not secure in a relationship at this point, it's time to, you know, think it through. And maybe it is. Maybe there's an answer. Maybe there's a past trauma involving a phone or something, and, and it makes sense under that circumstance. And, you know, a conversation with a therapist or something would help that but you have to decide if it's worth that trouble okay okay i've been dating my girlfriend for almost six years it's long distance but we've had ideas about a future together i never had a big desire to get married but i would do it for her having a kid has been a dream of her since i met her and recently i've been seriously considering my position and can't think of any reason i would want to have a kid I, I told her this last night, and we both broke down. She had been under the impression that I was down for everything and was under and, and was under and understandably upset when I told her. She told me she still wanted to stay together, but if there came a day I was 100% sure I didn't want kids, I left the possibility of changing my mind because I've changed a lot since I met her and was always hoping my position on this would change too. But now I 
feel like I'm in charge of deciding when this relationship ends. It was always my biggest fear that we would end up in a situation where she leaves me because I didn't want to have kids. And now I'm the one who will have to decide whether or not this relationship will continue. Not even sure I'm asking for advice. I don't want other people's takes on how much of a piece of shit I am. Well, no, there's nothing wrong with wanting children. It's So that's fine. But if she does want children and wants a family, then your futures are not compatible. That's a major difference between wanting to raise a family and not wanting to, to be a part of a family, not wanting to raise a family. There's nothing wrong with either one. Let's be clear. If you're clear that you don't want to raise children, then that's fine. Then she's just clearly not the person for you. She's not the one. You want someone who doesn't want that. And the same thing for her. So it, after six years, look, this is the thing that's preventing you from having a real solid long-term relationship. It is. Otherwise, you would have done it by now. You would have taken that final step by now. Because a real relationship takes longer than a few months, but it takes less than six years. And you're not there yet. If it's six years, you haven't decided where your relationship is, what it is, then you don't have it. And maybe I'm just kind of... <laughs> maybe my perspective on this is, is, you know, maybe I'm a little... What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> maybe I'm not as... as up, you know, I don't know. Optimistic. Optimistic. There we go. Maybe I'm not feeling as optimistic as, as usual, but... It doesn't seem to me that after six years, you guys still have this barrier between you. And it's more than distance. Stop wasting people's times. Uh, you know, if you don't want children, let her go raise, find someone who wants to raise a family. That would be my thing. If you love sometimes, if you love somebody, you have to let them go. It's best for you, best for them she can end up finding what she wants and you can find someone who wants what you want you can go find someone who wants a life without children there's nothing wrong with it plenty of great people have lives without children they decided they didn't want to raise children and they didn't have children and they had a great life for themselves there are websites devoted to this you know the, the problem isn't not wanting children the problem is being a you know having a poor attitude about people who do have children. You don't have a poor attitude about it, you just don't want them. That's fine. So don't worry about that. It just makes... You can't be in a relationship if something that fundamental is that different. It just won't... It, it will eventually not work. And you'll have ended up wasting people's time. You've already spent a half a decade you want to find out in another six years that oh, now we have to go start over all over again? Because her biological clock is ticking louder and you've grown more cemented in your perspective? My suggestion would be to do the right thing. It would be hard, but do the right thing. Okay. Okay.
kind of not hoping not being pessimistic today. Kind of being grumpy, Bruce. I'm, I'm tired of my fiance making me set alarms for him to wake up in time for work. And every time I set an alarm and go upstairs to wake him, he gets pissed at me. So then he will make me set another alarm so he can have ten more minutes. Mind you, I'm also busy with a three-year-old and soon-to-be newborn coming any time now, cooking and cleaning. It's extremely stressful me to have the job of waking him up as everything else. But yet, he always tells me he hates it when I try to act like his mother. I wish he would get an actual alarm clock. I finally put my foot down today and said it's not my responsibility. And he said, okay, I guess I'll just keep being late for work and lose my job. Like it would be my fault. No, it would be his, right? Yes, it would. Alarm clocks are like $7. You can go to Walmart and buy a cheap alarm clock. You don't even need a phone. You don't need nothing. It's like seven bucks. Get an alarm clock. That's not the actual problem. Buy one. Yeah, I mean, well, buy one. But no, don't let him. The sad thing is that you're too far deep in this to kind of let it just to say no and walk away because you've got the young one and an infant on the way. And so, but you can't allow this to continue either. You know, so if he's late and loses his job, there's consequences to that. He won't do it. Sometimes these people have to be made to grow up. For whatever reason, he doesn't want to. He says he doesn't want you to be his mother, but he's acting like he wants you to be his mother. You know, he probably doesn't know how to wake up without someone waking him up. Never had to do it. It would be my guess. Someone always woke him up. He never learned how to wake up. Never learned how to wake up on his own. Doesn't know how to do it. And so, because he doesn't know what to do, doesn't know how to do it, you know, instead of asking, I don't know how to do this, I have no experience. Someone's always woken me up. I don't know how to wake myself up. I don't know how to do it. Because, you know, he's afraid you leave him, fundamentally. Which, of course, is going to end up getting exactly what he's afraid of. Because if he doesn't start waking himself up, you're going to leave him. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's maybe the way you want to approach it just ask him have you never learned to wake yourself up yeah here's an alarm clock here's how you set it make sure you tell him you love him don't the hardest part of this is going to be doing it without being a, like accusatory without because you're so much stress and stuff stuff built up into this thing that you're going to want to do it with an argument rather than with compassion and love. And it's understandable. Got kids to deal with, kid to deal with cleaning, you're pregnant. <laughs> no, one would, no one would bat an eye if you didn't do it with compassion and love. <laughs>
No one would say Jack. <laughs> but if you want to be effective, you have to approach it with compassion and love. And that may get you through. May. So the question is to de-escalate it and then solve the actual problem. It's my guess he never learned to wake himself up. And it's just a skill he doesn't have. He doesn't even realize it. So, you know, bring it up, ask him about it. You know, be my suggestion. Good suggestion. But going through, anyway, if this goes on much longer, he's going to torpedo his whole relationship, and that's going to suck. So, all right, what else we got? Asked him, 44-year-old male, to marry me, 39 female, last night. He said, absolutely not, then proceeded to get upset when I wasn't in the mood. I was so vulnerable and honest. I wasn't upset when he said, absolutely not, but a discussion would have been nice. Then when I wasn't being, being the fun one on a Friday night because I didn't want to do it, doors got slammed, there was yelling, etc. I felt, I slept alone and felt so hurt. I get past this. Well, what happened is he thought the relationship was one thing and you thought it's another. And so now there is this big gap about what it is. How did it get there? Don't know. But that's what the reality is. And so the reality of what you both have thought this relationship was, you both thought it was something different than it was. And so there's the ground that you both are standing on has now completely shifted. There is no going back. You can't close Pandora's box. You want to be married, he doesn't. Someone's going to have to give. Right? Those are, we've had a discussion before, right? Just earlier. That's, those are incompatible. It's such a fundamental thing that it, they're not really compatible. You want, you want something going forward? They don't. Something has to give. Is it your wants and needs and desires or it is his? Or do you move on? How long did they say this relationship was? Ten years? Didn't say. No, didn't say. So, you know, it's, maybe it's a good thing. You found out that, you know, it's not a long-term relationship. It wasn't going where you want it to go. Maybe I'm not the pessimistic one this week. Maybe you were the pessimistic one this week. <laughs> Just about these questions. <laughs> Hard to say. <laughs> but, but it is. There's... These are some another one of those fundamental things that if it's if you can't agree on it, 
if you if you can't agree where the fundamental direction, general direction of the relationship, north, south, east, west. If one person wants to go north, and one person wants to go south, you're going to grow apart eventually. There's just no way around it. One person's going to be insanely unhappy, which means both people will end up being unhappy. So. Take that for what you will. Okay. Okay, we've got some parenting questions. All right, let's see if these are going to be any f more fun than what you came up with so far. <laughs> I've put parental control on my teen's iPhone, blocking certain apps and websites. Problem is, she's still somehow accessing them. How? I'm so confused. Because children know better than with technology than you. They have this thing called YouTube, and they can search YouTube how to get around these things, and or Reddit or whatever their social media site is. You can't put a parental block that a child can't find a way around. Trust me, I know that was an old hacker. You're far better off teaching them responsibilities, teaching them to use their materials and stuff responsible. They're gonna be, you know, at some point they're gonna be an adult. They're going to have free will and access to all this stuff. You might as well teach them how to do it now. When they're willing to listen to you. And when they're not. It's my perspective. Because the teenager that wants to get around it, will get around it. But just well. It's been that way since the beginning of time. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, Icarus, right? <laughs> Flew too close to the sun. <laughs> it's what they do. <laughs> of course, also, if you follow that two thoughts, he didn't also just fly too close to the sun. He also flew too close to the water and got his wings all wet and crashed. So it wasn't just flying too close to the sun and melting his things. He also flew close to the to the water and soaked his feathers. And anyway, But no one knows that part of the story that his, his father didn't tell him not to just fly too close to the sun. He told him to not fly too low to the ground because your feathers will get wet and you'll crash. So the, I never heard this. So the story was he, he flew too close to the sun and crashed, but that wasn't the, just the warning his father gave him. His father said, don't fly too high, don't fly too low. And you find this, you know, stay in the guardrails and you stay there. There's a safe zone and you stay there. Anyway, <laughs> and so but as Icarus did he flew too high and he burnt himself because he you know while his father warned him he didn't really teach him how to you know he didn't really teach them the real reason why he didn't show them enough and so you know how much education to give your child it's a difficult thing, but they're growing up in a world you don't understand. My kids and grandkids are growing up in a world I don't understand. How do you prepare them for a world they don't understand? You don't understand. I let them experience it when it's safe, when you're around. Because you don't want them to do it at 19 when you're not. And things can get off the rails really fast. And they're adults, and they're legally responsible for all the stupid crap they do. You, 
<laughs> want them to get through that stuff when they're young. <laughs> Childhood is just for practice. And you need to let them practice. You can try. Now, in a sense, it might be a good thing. You may be creating as someone who's uh, good at computer programming and, just, and you're creating skills, helping you know them learning to beat your parental blocks, maybe giving them skills and interest in computer programming or something. And so, you know, maybe it has its own benefits. You don't know. But the fact that, she <laughs> that they're able to get around your parental blocks, not a surprise at all. How they're able to do it, YouTube, Reddit, you know, Google, search. It's easy. Easy answers are out there. You can find out yourself, and you can look. You can go to do a Google search and find out how do I keep my kid from from you know defeating the parental blocks. But you're gonna not find much you know, answers. Okay. Okay. As we prepare to bring a child into our family, my mother-in-law has said that regardless of what anyone says or wants, she will be coming to our home for two to three weeks to take care of the child and, our, and her daughter, and insists that this is a completely normal thing that every mother does with their daughter. I've never heard this, and neither have the women in my life that I've asked. And while I voiced I was thankful for any help being offered with doing the dishes, laundry, etc., things she mentioned, what she was describing didn't sit right with me. I've always looked forward to this time in our lives and being able to this time, cherish this time of my, with my wife and take care of her. And I pointed out that if my mom were to forcibly come live with us, regardless of what my wife had to say, come help with things, that wouldn't fly. Does this sound normal in your experience? Well, it's perfectly, culturally, there are cultures that it's perfectly normal. I've actually known people that have done that. And the question is, what I haven't actually seen anywhere in there is what his wife wants. Heard what he wants. I haven't heard what his wife wants. But having the mother come in and essentially teach the, you know, her daughter how to be a mother the first couple of weeks, help with the lactation and help with the, you know, the breastfeeding and all that, you know, the basic education that has to happen those first couple of weeks, is actually perfectly normal and probably goes back thousands upon thousands of years. I would suspect. How else, you know, we didn't used to have baby books. You know, somebody had to teach them, and who taught them? The women, elder women of the communities. That's how it happened. You know, if you didn't have a mother, it's an elder woman of the community would come in. So it's perfectly normal. Now, is it right for your family? Don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But that's a question you and your wife have to have a discussion with. You know, if your wife wants it, well, you're just gonna have to bite the bullet for a couple weeks because guess what? First couple weeks, it's all about the mama. Whether you like it or not is irrelevant. <laughs> it just is. And so if the mother wants her mother there, then you're gonna have your mother there, your mother-in-law there. That's what's gonna happen. And as a man, your job is to suck it up, buttercup. 
Lots of times in being a father, your job is to suck it up, Buttercup. And this is one of them. If, assuming, his wife wants her mother there. What about you? I didn't want my mother there. I wanted to have my time with my baby and my husband. And it is in some cultures. But I think if the husband is just so dead set against it, then it shouldn't happen. I think the mother-in-law is being a She's She wants to spend time with that grandbaby as soon as it's here and bond with it. And I perfectly understand that. I'm a grandmother myself. But moving in and taking over is not okay. Well, I want to know what the wife wants. She was raised in that culture. She may want it. Then what happens? See, for me, it's all about the mother. What the mother wants, mother gets. At that stage. So. Well, she can come over every day, but I don't see why she's living there. What the mother wants, the mother gets. So, what his wife wants, his wife gets. Those first few weeks, you have no opinion. <laughs> that doesn't follow. You can no opinion. <laughs> Mother wants some, you know, it's like pregnant women. You're always nice to pregnant women and new mothers. You just are. You, they always, they always defer. It's just what you do. For my opinion, you just defer to what, so whatever your wife wants, that's what you give her. Okay. So, we disagree on this one, but... <laughs> we do disagree. We disagree a little bit on this one. Whatever was, so, my thing is, whatever your wife wants, your wife gets. That would be my suggestion. Blubby's on board with you. So <laughs> All right, so what do we got? Should I correct my eight-year-old son who over-talks? Last year, his teacher would reach out every few months to let us know that he would talk too much in class and sometimes disturb others, and that she had resulted to ignoring him when he talks. I also heard the same complaint from my father, and I've been noticing that he does it when he's around other people. Although he has gotten a lot better in the last few months, he still over-talks, and when I try to bring it up, he usually closes his ears and tries to run away. Should I let it go or talk to him about it? Well, let me put it this way. Do you really want a child who's not willing to express himself? You teach a child to keep his feelings, thoughts and feelings to himself, you're going to teach a child to keep his thoughts and feelings to himself. What's more dangerous? Long term. A chatty little boy or a little boy who won't express himself? little boy who's afraid to express himself because he's had everybody, all the adults in his life tell him he's wrong for doing so. What is it? What's, what's the better option? Some adults who are just don't want to hear some, a little child talk or a little child who's afraid to speak? Because that's what's going to happen. You're going to have a little child who's going to be afraid to speak because all the adults in his life have told him him talking is wrong. Him expressing himself is wrong. Sit down, shut up. That's what you're teaching him. Really. That's what you want to teach him. You have a gift. You have a child who loves to express himself. Encourage it. You may want to focus it on writing. 
maybe you can refocus some of that energy into writing but you want him to continue to express himself the last thing you want is a child who's, a, who's a literally afraid to express himself because adults have told him it's wrong yeah, what are we doing? what are you really trying to teach him? that it's his job to you know, make sure everybody else is comfortable make sure everybody else is heard, not him I don't know it just seems like you're focused on the wrong people and the education system complaining about children being chatty is education system being boring for children engage children you know don't disrupt classes so yeah the same Okay, we got one more. Alright. What you got over there, Larry? My boyfriend and I are each other's first. We've only been dating for a few months, but have really clicked. We usually get to see each other once or twice a week. The problem is sometimes he finishes within about seven minutes. I have absolutely no problem with that. I actually think it's kind of flattering. He tends to apologize for it, and I hate him feeling insecure over something natural, especially because he is more than makes up for, makes quote unquote makes up for it. My question is: Is there anything I could say to him next time it happens to make him feel better? No, but there's also. <sighs> Why we're focused on that thing, how long it takes when it is actually not the point. No, it's not. But it's... It's about the connection. Yeah, and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with a quickie every now and again, you know, hey. <laughs> you know, quickies have their own, have their own appeal. Uh, Yes, they do. <laughs> so, so time and a place for everything. <laughs> the time and a place for everything. But if he's actually concerned about it, you know, there are actually things you can get. There's sense of, there's uh, lubes you can get that help deaden the senses in the area. So you can go longer if that's his problem. But my guess is he's just on occasionally gets really excited. And quite frankly, if you're young, it's not even really a problem because he'll be ready again in 10 minutes if you really want to. So <laughs> if they're young, it's not really a problem. <laughs> now that's an idea. The first time is usually fast, the second isn't. Yeah. Yeah, you just, that just means round one. That's just like, you know, the end of round one. Right. Yeah. That's all it is. Don't worry about it. The problem is, talking about it is going to actually make it more uncomfortable than not really talking about it. Because he's going to think that you're kind of just trying to make him feel better. And part of the problem is, is neither one of you have the actual experience to understand that there's no set thing for these kind of things. 
know? None. There's, there's none. None. <laughs> none. There's no time limit. There's no time minimum. There's no time and there's maximum. Some, and there's no explanation for why sometimes it's longer than others or shorter no. than others. No idea. No, it, it's just that way. And, you know, life's like that sometimes. And you're just going to have to kind of get comfortable with it. But that's part of the thing. Getting comfortable with your sexuality. You all have not even experienced to have normal yet. So you're still young. Normal sexual things. You haven't even figured it out yet. So I wouldn't worry so much about it. My thing is, enjoy while you can. Enjoy the exploration. Have a good time. Yeah. You know, or maybe if you're really all that worried about it, you can change your techniques. You can't stop partway through, and shift. Ooh, coitus interruptus. Yes. <laughs> See, there's, you know, there's other things. There's our ways. You know, if he really is worried about it, there are techniques. You, there are techniques and skills you can use to to make yourself last longer. But I think focusing on it is probably, at this stage, probably not your... Well, she says he makes an effort in other areas. You know, he makes, quote-unquote, makes up for it. Which means she's having a good time. Which is really all you will do. As long as she's having a good time, your job as the male partner is done. Right? That's you see, you have succeeded. <laughs> You're invited back. Yeah. So... <laughs> I just make sure he knows that you're having a good time. I wouldn't focus so much on the distance. Don't say that it's okay that it would, because that focuses on the thing. Just make sure you let him know that you had a good time overall. If you really want to do it, if you really want to make him feel more secure, just make sure that he knows that the overall experience is, is okay in your book. You know? that you've had yourself your good time that you're taken care of and if he knows you're taken care of all the rest of that stuff will go away yay his, his internal things will go away Cause well they're each other's first he doesn't have confidence as a lover yet no well it, yeah and y'all are so ex inexperienced you, there's probably things running through your head that y'all both of you are will, unwilling to you know express because you're Unconfident with yourself, probably don't even know what it is yet. So, <laughs> so just slow down, have a good time, <laughs> you know, be safe, all that good stuff. And for me and Lubby, we want to thank you. If you guys want to send us uh, uh, love letters, you can send them to love at late night love us. You can always find us at late night love us, and in all your various social media and whatnot platforms. From me and Lubby, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. Um, love your loved ones. Give them a hug. Please remember to love everybody. Good night.